0: Okay, well, hello there, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison of betterhealthwhileaging.net, and welcome to this COVID update that I am recording on January 6th, 2022. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, So I recorded an update just a few weeks ago, but the Omicron situation has been changing so quickly. We have such an intense surge going on um, that I wanted to share some updates. Now, because things are changing so quickly, it's hard to get really good well-done research, but um, there is a lot of preliminary information coming out that I have been following in depth, and I wanted to share it with our audience at Better Health While Aging to help you get through these next few weeks. So in today's update, what I am going to cover is, first of all, what uh, we seem to have learned so far regarding Omicron and how severe it is, especially when it comes to older adults. I'm gonna talk about the challenges related to the current surge. The fact that we have so many people catching it is creating a couple particular challenges that I think all older adults and their families should know about. Uh, I'm going to talk about the hospital situation, which is one of those very important challenges going on. I'm going to talk about using rapid tests, which is an approach that I and other people have in the past encouraged for safer gathering. So there are some new developments on that front that you should be uh, aware of. And now we're also increasingly using rapid tests for a question of uh, when people have caught COVID, there's a question of when are they safe to be with other people again. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm gonna talk about um, ways to mask up better and other ways to stay safer during the ongoing surge. Um, and generally I've noticed lots of common questions these past few weeks. So through this update, you should get answers to uh, most of them. So um, briefly the situation right now, we have had an uh, intense surge in cases and also hospitalizations. So you may have heard that Omicron is milder. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, It probably is a little milder, but we have such a volume of people that we are still seeing a lot of hospitalizations right now. And it's really gone up quite a lot. I would say since Christmas, I think it's a combination of gatherings and travel related to the holiday and also just um, the acceleration because uh, with a contagious virus, the growth is um, exponential as it's going up, which is what we are seeing. So we are at right now, uh, in terms of COVID overall, at about 58 million cases and 828,000 uh, deaths. But right now, we are probably racking up over a million cases of COVID um, per day. We had a million documented cases a few days earlier. There may have been some holiday backup with that. Right now, what they're documenting is more in, like I think, the 700,000 cases a day range, but Uh, that does not count um, the rapid tests, that does not count all the people who want to get tested and can't because the lines are so long. Um, And those cases are a combination of Omicron um, and still probably Delta in some areas, even though Omicron seems to have taken on the bulk of it in certain areas. Um, The deaths are about 1,300 a day. Uh so the good news is that the cases are much, much higher than hospitalizations, but we um it's important to realize that the hospitalizations have still gotten quite high they are over a hundred thousand um people right now and also we are finally starting to see cases go up in nursing homes both among staff and what we have seen pretty consistently during the pandemic is that when there's a surge first the cases go up among staff and then they go up among residents so because the cases have just gone up it is too soon to know whether that's going to turn into an increase in um deaths as well so just to show you right now um where you can look and see, this is the New York Times COVID uh, data page right here. So you can see, whoop, there we go. It's called the Omicron spike when it goes up um, like that. Um, and uh, this information is not so useful because it comes from the CDC and they don't update it very promptly. So this is this is data from November, predates Omicron. Um, same here. I mean, it does speak to the effect of vaccines in the uh, Delta period. What we want to know right now is how it's doing in the Omicron period. Uh, but this is uh, quite uh, recent because this comes from a different data set from Health and Human Services. Uh, so here you see the hospital uh, admissions, and it's broken down by age also. So this dark blue line right here is age 70 plus. Uh, now it's not broken down by vaccination status, uh, this graph, but you can see that we're, we're seeing hospitalizations go up in, in all age groups, but um, the highest rates are in people who are over 70 and it's going up a little bit more steeply there as well. Um, so, and then for the nursing home data, uh, this is the CDC's Right here, uh, nursing home COVID data dashboard. So um, these are COVID cases among residents per thousand resident weeks um, is uh, what they do. Uh, so you can see a pretty notable jump up right here. Um, however, the deaths right now are you know more or less uh, steady. Um, and then you can see it really rocketing up among the nursing home staff. And we have nursing home staff who uh, are dying as, uh, as well. I don't know why there's such a big spike uh, right here. Um, so definitely uh, concerning. And, and I mentioned this not to make people too, too anxious, but I think one of the paradoxes that we're all kind of grappling with right now is that there's this message that Omicron is uh, milder um, and couldn't we let it rip? Um, but it's important to realize that uh, even though that is probably true, and I am going to go over a little bit of that data uh, today, just the sheer number of people um, catching Omicron means that even if it's a smaller proportion of them who are going to get seriously ill, we still end up with a lot of people in the hospital. And that is a problem for all of us. So um, specific challenges right now that we're seeing related to Omicron. Uh, First of all, it's causing a lot of breakthroughs. So it was observed early on that it evades the antibodies that are created by either prior infection or by vaccination, which means it is better able to cause an infection, an initial infection in somebody who is vaccinated or has already had COVID. Now, uh, after that, after that initial infection, your body calls up the reserves, your T cells and additional white cells. Um, And those are still effective against Omicron. So we are seeing that vaccinated people still have good protection against being hospitalized, um, although it's better if they are boosted. Um, We are also seeing that even people who have been boosted are catching Omicron. So the data from the United Kingdom is that after the booster, the vaccine efficacy against infection goes uh, from something quite low, I forget what it is, to about 70, 75%. And the vaccine efficacy against uh, serious outcomes, hospitalization goes up to 88%. That is, again, in all ages. I haven't seen it broken down uh, for the older age groups. Um, so uh, lots of Omicron going around, whether or not people are vaccinated. Another challenge is it's become very hard to get a PCR COVID test um, because so many people are catching COVID. It um, It's just become very, very hard. I've heard that from um, a lot of people. Um, So we end up actually with people going to emergency rooms because they're just trying to get a test because people understandably want to know if they're feeling unwell, do they have COVID so that they know whether to isolate, um, whether to maybe ask for additional medical care if they're at high risk. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why people would want to get tested, but it's become very hard because of the volume of Omicron we're seeing right now. Uh, I probably don't have to tell you that it's also become very hard to find a rapid antigen test, uh, and I'm going to talk um, later about the difference between those two tests and how you can be using them right now. But those are the over-the-counter ones. Um, they're sold out uh, almost uh, everywhere. They do get shipped to pharmacies you know, once or twice a week, and they sell out very quickly. Another issue that has come up is that many people have reported that even when they were feeling some symptoms, some sore throat or cold symptoms, their rapid test um, for COVID was negative and then it became positive a few days later. So uh, people have questions and concerns about that. Uh, The ERs and hospitals in many areas are overflowing. And I will talk more about why that is. We do have some Medications now that can help people who catch COVID can reduce the chance of it progressing. Paxlovid is the new oral medication that just got its emergency approval on December 22nd. So Trovimab is a monoclonal antibody. So we had three monoclonal antibodies and it turns out that only one of them, so Trovimab works against Omicron, very short supply for both of those medications. Um, Another challenge as we try to sort of follow this surge and figure out how concerned to be is that the hospital COVID numbers, um, there have been questions about those because what they're finding is many people uh, test positive for COVID, but COVID is not the reason why they were hospitalized. So this is referred to as incidental COVID. Um, So that is making it a little bit tricky, again, to work out what is the risk of getting seriously ill if you catch uh, Omicron. Now, some people think, well, it's not a big deal if those are incidental cases, but they still create a lot of strain in the hospital. They still need to be managed differently for infection control uh, purposes. Um, A huge challenge, uh, which you have probably already been personally affected by is um, that so many people are sick or testing positive that it is causing huge staffing shortages which is affecting hospitals, nursing homes, assisted livings, uh, airlines, as we have heard in the news, lots of flights getting canceled, Um, public transit, uh, teachers, um, you know, uh, basically almost all groups of society are having a lot of people come down ill um, and it becomes hard to cover for their work um, if their work needs doing. And then um, a last challenge that I'll mention and I'll talk more about it in today's update is uh, the question of when is it safe to return to work after you get a positive test? The CDC issued new guidelines about this uh, not too long ago. There's been some controversy about them. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, what the data and science show, what some different um, experts are saying to give you a little bit of guidance should you test positive and are wondering when you can go back to work or be around other people. So the questions that I you know, have been hearing from people are things like, well, isn't Omicron supposedly milder? So how much do we need to worry? Do the COVID tests uh, still work against Omicron? Do the vaccines still work? Some people are asking that. Are they gonna work against Omicron? Are they still effective in older adults? Why get vaccinated or boosted if you're just going to get COVID anyway? Uh, what about the new treatments? Shouldn't we just let it rip you know, and build up some group immunity? What if I test positive for COVID, what's safe? So let's start with is Omicron milder? So uh, the evidence overall is that it does seem to be milder and we're seeing this from a couple sources. So first of all, there are lab studies that are done in like hamster and mouse cells (laughs) Um, that show that even though Omicron's mutations make it better at evading antibodies and causing an initial infection, it's less good at infecting the lungs as best we can tell. So they think that this is why it's quite contagious and people are catching it um, easily, even if they're vaccinated, um, but why there are... um, relatively fewer people who are getting pneumonia or the kind of really serious COVID illness that might require intensive care. So uh, what this means with these mutations is uh, it seems clear that you need pretty high antibody levels. So really a recent booster shot um, to um, avoid Omicron infection if you are exposed. However, your T cells, so again, this is part of the immune system that gets called up When there is an illness, it takes a few days to kick in. Those seem to remain effective against uh, Omicron. So, this is why it's still much better to be vaccinated right now and better yet to be uh, boosted. And right now, uh, anecdotally, um, it's not just anecdotes, they're kind of regular reports, kind of preliminary summaries of what they are seeing that are coming out from the UK, what they're seeing in their hospitals. And what is being seen in certain U.S. hospitals, um, they're seeing um, very little severe COVID disease in people who have been vaccinated or have uh, prior COVID. So if you're vaccinated or have already had COVID, you know, the issue is really that you could catch Omicron, you could pass it on to someone else. Uh, And then in terms of when you catch Omicron, we're seeing a real spread. There are many people who have no symptoms or are mild. Those are the ones who are showing up incidentally positive when um, uh, they're hospitalized. So everybody who gets hospitalized gets tested whether or not they think they have COVID to to check. So that's one place where um, they are seeing, um, you know, eight, 10, uh, sometimes more percent of people turning up positive. And then there was also a study from South Africa where they uh, tested many people who were asymptomatic, Um, And they found that there was a higher proportion of them that had um, asymptomatic um, COVID with Omicron compared to when they had done something similar with Delta a few um, months before. So, uh, and then there are people who get it and it's like a cold or like allergies. On the other hand, there are people who have mild cases, meaning they don't get hospitalized, who still have fever for several days, a terrible sore throat and are stuck in bed for days. So um, for some people it's still uh, extremely uncomfortable to have um, Omicron. and, um, and of course, you know, no matter how you're feeling, um, if you know you have it, you are, you know, need to isolate from other people and that's disruptive to people's lives or ability to either do their work or provide care, you know, to family members um, and do the other things that they wanna do. Um, so more on Omicron being milder, um, there, uh, Doctors working in hospitals that are busy right now in areas that have a lot of Omicron are reporting that they are seeing fewer COVID patients that require the intensive care unit or the breathing machine, which is great. And they say that those who do are almost all unvaccinated or vaccinated and at extremely high risk, often also maybe not boosted because uh, we have not boosted nearly enough people in the States, especially in terms of our older population and our high risk population. Um, But they are also seeing um, people getting hospitalized who are older and have chronic conditions. They're seeing them get hospitalized, not with such severe, scary COVID, but they're sick enough that they need to be in the hospital for two or three days. Uh, They may be dehydrated. They may need IV fluids. Um, Their COVID may have tipped over another chronic condition that they have, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or kidney disease or heart disease, heart failure. They may have tipped them over into um, a dangerous exacerbation that requires hospital care to get it back in line. So they're seeing lots and lots and lots of uh, those people, um, many of whom have uh, not been uh, boosted. Um, And then there are the hospital patients, again, who incidentally test positive, so they don't need special COVID care. However, it creates an additional strain in the hospital because you have to put them in special parts of the hospital and the staff have to take more precautions when they interact uh, with them. Um, So yes, it's milder, but we are still seeing a huge strain on the hospitals, which is exacerbated by the fact that the hospitals are short-staffed by people... Being sick with COVID or testing positive, and the ERs are flooded by people who cannot get a test elsewhere. So just this morning, as I was looking, um, I follow um, several people I trust on Twitter. You know, because nursing homes <laughs> now are getting so short-staffed, they can't accept people who have been hospitalized for a few days and now maybe need a few days of additional supportive care before they can go home uh, safely. So, so with this surge, the intensive care units are doing better than they have in prior times. We're not short of ventilators, but the emergency rooms and hospitals overall are under huge strain. And that means when people get the other things they need hospital care for, heart attacks, strokes, uh, you know, worsenings of their chronic illnesses that are not related to COVID, they are having difficulty getting care. Um otherwise Omicron being milder. Uh, there was a pretty detailed um, data analysis done by the Imperial College of London published on December 22nd. So their estimate, um, so one of the things that has come up is, um, so Omicron is going to be milder or look milder to us, the surge in part because so many people at this point are either vaccinated or have had COVID. So we have some innate you know, immunity, whether we got it through catching COVID or the vaccination. Um, But what they also wanted to know is, well, is it milder for people who have uh, you know all things being equal so either people who haven't been vaccinated uh, or for comparable people who have been vaccinated and the estimate was that it seems to be 20 to 25 percent less risk of hospitalization compared to delta that was not broken down by age group so what we're seeing overall when you count in the immunity that people have from vaccines or prior covid uh, there's probably like 50 percent um, less hospitalization um, And they think the innate uh, decrease in severity is about 20 to 25%. Now, that's for all age groups. There is this phenomenon where the pediatric hospitalizations seem to be higher with Omicron, mostly unvaccinated children, many of them too young to be vaccinated. It's still low in absolute terms, even though it's higher than it was Before, so there's interesting research going on about how Omicron may be affecting young children differently. Um, I don't follow the pediatric uh, details that uh, closely since that's not um, my specialty, but I wanted to acknowledge that. So um, I have been looking you know, throughout for detailed uh, information, specifically on older age groups, because we know that the number two risk factors for having worse COVID is one, whether you're uh, number one is age, <laughs> how old you are. And number two is whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Um, so this is a data scientist in the UK who's been doing some um, you know, a preliminary crunching of uh, the link between positive cases and admissions. And, uh, you know, again, even in the older age group, 65 to 84, it seems to be 30 to 50% fewer. Uh, Here a few days ago, he said people who are 85 plus, not, you know, um, not a clear signal yet. He actually had an updated post, uh, I think today or yesterday where I think that one, I forget if it was 70 plus or 80 plus, but you know, they basically had the model of how many hospitalizations they would expect based on the data from Delta and what they're currently seeing in the older age group is about 70% of that. So 30% lower. So this is good news and we need our little bits of good news (laughs) during this surge, um, and, uh, and then we're still waiting to see what the effect will be in nursing homes now that the cases have uh, really been taken off. So I remain kind of disappointed that there isn't more emphasis on clearly showing data for people who are over 75, whether they're vaccinated or not. But we'll see if that, that happens. So what I think older adults should know is that even though it is milder, um, I would still consider it pretty risky for unvaccinated older adults. The older you are, the riskier. Uh, and then yes, uh, if you're a vaccinated older adult, especially if you have had your booster, you're unlikely to get severe COVID, you know, the terrible pneumonia where you need a ton of oxygen, where you might need intensive care and the, uh, breathing machine. However, you could get tipped into hospitalization, especially if you're frailer or if you have other chronic, uh, conditions, um. And normally maybe needing the hospital for two or three days would not be such a big deal, but because the hospitals are under such strain due to the volume of people they are seeing, this is a very difficult time to be hospitalized. So boosters do raise your antibody level and help reduce the chance of catching Omicron. Yes, you can still catch Omicron if you've been boosted. Yes, you will hear about people who have <laughs> caught Omicron after they were boosted. I know you know of uh, lots of them. And it still reduces your chances somewhat and will also reduce your chances of getting sick enough that you might need hospitalization. So I continue to think being uh, boosted is a good idea. Um, so I can't emphasize this enough. This is this is a very bad time to need hospital care. So the safest is to be vaccinated, boosted, and to take steps to avoid COVID exposure until the surge subsides, especially if you are somebody who has any kind of vulnerabilities or risks for having you know, a case of COVID that is more than feeling sick at home for several days. So um, let's now talk about the testing. Uh, so the recent issues um, that are most important is that there's a real shortage of rapid tests and of access to PCR testing. We have just blown past the capacity uh, that we have. It's it's really unfortunate that as a society, we didn't plan ahead and order lots and lots of rapid tests. The UK did, and they're able to provide several free ones to all their citizens, I think daily. Um, and here they're, they're expensive, uh, and now they're hard to find. Um, and then there've been the questions about the accuracy, especially with Omicron. And then if you get COVID, when is it safe to be around others? So Really quick review of how rapid tests versus PCR tests work. Rapid tests are also sometimes abbreviated uh, RAT, rapid antigen tests. But basically the rapid test detects antigen, which means virus proteins. So you have to be infected and then have the virus replicate enough to create appreciable amounts of virus protein uh, in um, the body part that is being swabbed or in your saliva if um uh, If it's a saliva or spit test, we don't really have very many of those for rapid testing, um, uh, at least commercial over-the-counter rapid tests in the States. If you have enough antigen to trigger a test result, then you are almost certainly infectious. And then as the viral load declines during the infection, the rapid test becomes negative um, again. Now, in contrast, PCR tests, Uh, they test for viral RNA. So that's the genetic material of the virus. But what they do is to detect it, part of the process is to amplify the RNA. They basically, it's like zooming in on it and making it bigger and bigger. And they do this in cycles until it's detected. So even though it's not routinely reported to people as part of the PCR test result, when they run the test, they can see how many times did they have to amplify it before it was detectable. So if it only took a small number of cycles to amplify um, like 10, 20, then there was a lot of virus there. And if it took lots of cycles to amplify like, you know, 30, 40, then there was very little. And I think the machines give up after I forget how many cycles, it probably depends on the machine, but I think around 40-ish or so uh, they stop. Um, So PCR tests remain positive for weeks Because long after you stop being infectious, you still have little bits of virus in there. So this is extremely important to know when we are thinking about the question of, is it safe to be around other people when we can go back to school, to work, to visit aging parents? Um, And so let me show you. um, There's somebody uh, who's very good on the testing front, Michael Minna. Uh, Dr. Michael Minna on Twitter. And he also published this in the New England Journal of Medicine over a year ago in November of 2020, kind of showing the difference between um, the uh, ability of PCR tests and uh, rapid tests um, right here to catch it. And the better version to share with you is um, that there is an adapted one, which I am going to show you right here. Um, here. So this is Dr. Eric Topol. He's another person who I think is very good to follow, who um, has, shares good information, I think strikes the right balance of taking um, of uh, concern and caution with COVID without being overly alarmist. (laughs) This is what I found is the trick on Twitter is, first of all, is the person posting stuff that seems reasonably Accurate because there are a lot of people who are not posting stuff that is accurate. And then um, every expert has their leaning to be more concerned and at an extreme that becomes alarmist versus, um, you know, more kind of uh, maybe we would say casual. But anyway, okay. So this is a graphic that was created for the Financial Times, which is a UK publication. Um, So in the UK, the rapid test is called the lateral flow test. Um, But what they show is that when you get exposed to the virus, so after a few days, you start, this is your viral load, this thing that goes up right here. So the PCR is more sensitive because again, it's doing that amplification. So it can detect much smaller quantities of virus. So as your viral load goes up, first, it will become detectable by PCR. Um, usually requiring lots and lots of cycles of amplification. And then as it goes up further, it becomes detectable by a rapid antigen um, test. Uh, and this is really when you are most uh, infectious. And then as your viral load comes down, you are you don't really have enough virus to be infectious to other people, but it remains detectable by PCR for um, days and days. So this is partly why, um, You want to be doing the rapid test as soon as possible before the gathering, right? So an hour before is best rather than the day before or two days before, because um, in that interval between the time that you take the test and actually see people, uh, you could convert to contagious if you had had an exposure within a day or two um, before. All right. Let's go back to uh, these slides. Um, So the question is, what about um, Omicron, right? We have heard reports that the rapid tests don't pick up Omicron uh, as well. So um, rapid tests and PCR tests both pick up Omicron. Uh, There's some, there was just something about it in the New York Times uh, yesterday. um, Some studies have found that rapid tests Pick up Omicron a little bit less well than they do Delta. The two studies that I looked at, neither of them use the Binax Now test, which we use most often in, in the states. Um, but these cannot tell it apart from Delta. This is relevant in that, for instance, you know, the monoclonal antibodies for people who are at high risk, only one of them works against Delta. So, you know, this has been a bit of a, a problem. And so PCR samples require special sequencing to identify uh, Omicron. And then in terms of why so many stories of false negative um, uh, rapid tests. Um, So what's interesting is that the evidence is accumulating that Omicron causes viral antigen in your saliva and throat one to three days before there is lots in the nose. So it seems less likely to infect the lungs but most likely to infect the upper airway. And it does that before it actually gets to the mucous membranes of your nose. So what a lot of people are finding anecdotally is that if they swab, when they do the rapid test, they swab the throat, like the tonsils and the back and the nose, uh, they are more likely to get a positive test than if they just swab the nose. So this is why some experts are saying, well, if you really wanna check, swab your throat and your nose, no. The FDA has recently come out saying, well, those tests aren't approved for that because when the tests submitted their data for approval, people were swabbing the nose, not the throat. (laughs) So so, uh, what I think should be done for using rapid tests for Omicron today, if you have one and you wanna check if you are infectious, uh, I would say consider swabbing both tonsils and the back of the throat before swabbing the nostrils. Now, you need to not eat or drink or brush your teeth for half an hour before And caveat is that this is not approved by the FDA, but if you look online, there's a video from the National Health Service in the UK showing people how to swab their throat. They do have a rapid test that is designed for that, Um, but that's where you can see uh, kind of the technique. Uh, I recommend doing it as close to the gathering as possible. And then if your rapid test is negative, but you are having symptoms or you live with somebody who tested positive for COVID in the last day or two, or have other reasons to believe that there's a good chance you might have COVID, I would say reconsider gathering, like either don't don't go to the gathering, or if you go, wear a really good mask the whole time, open the windows, and basically try to minimize the chance that anybody is going to breathe in what you are exhaling. Uh, And then if you've caught COVID, so Zeynep Tufekci often writes um, commentary about COVID. She's technically, I think a sociology professor, but very good with data and has generally been spot on uh, with COVID. So she did an informal Twitter survey asking those people who had access to a lot of rapid tests, how many days did it take before their rapid tests turned negative? And she did this in part because the CDC issued guidance saying that after testing positive for COVID, you could go back to work after five days, as long as you didn't have fever and your symptoms were getting better. So she had, I think 2,600 people respond to her informal Twitter survey. She wrote about it in the New York Times. It was published yesterday. I'll have a link to that in the related links. And 43% of the respondents said they were still positive on the rapid test at day eight. Um, So... uh, For you, if you have caught COVID and are wondering, you know, can I use a rapid test to know when it's safe to visit my parents or, you know, take fewer precautions about isolation, several experts have said that they feel that if you test negative with a rapid test two days in a row, it should mean you are in the clear. Like one test is pretty good, but two days in a row should be, you know, um, good because if you have just the one that's negative, maybe you didn't get a good enough sample and all that. And you should keep in mind that your PCR test will be positive for much longer. But if your rapid test is negative, you are unlikely to be dangerous to others. Now, you can still to be on the safe side, wear a mask, and again, avoid being unmasked indoors with others for several uh, more days. But you should be able to you know, return to, to work once your rapid test is negative. So which brings us to the question of what are the rules right now about COVID isolations and quarantines. So in terms of the difference between the two terms, isolation is if you have tested positive um, and quarantine is if you are at risk. So sort of suspected because you're coming from a high COVID area. Uh, although now like everywhere in the States is practically a high COVID area or if you are a close contact of someone who has tested positive. Um, So this has been reviewed because it has become a huge problem that so many people are missing work due to either being sick from COVID or having a positive test or being a close contact. Uh, And it's causing staffing problems in multiple critical areas of a society. Now that we're back at school, it's a problem in schools. (laughs) Um, So the CDC issued new guidelines on December 29th, and they have been controversial. Their guidance was that after somebody tests positive for COVID and develops symptoms, Uh, Five days of isolation is adequate if uh, and then they can return to work if they are fever free and their symptoms are improving, but they should keep wearing a mask through 10 days. So this was criticized right away by many experts who said, why aren't you also requiring a negative rapid test to confirm that people aren't infectious and can go back? Um, So many experts think a negative rapid test should be uh, required. The CDC has issued comments on this that seem a little bit convoluted that many people don't find super persuasive. Um, I'm not super persuaded either. Um, uh, Potentially, the reason why they are not asking for a negative rapid test is because they've realized that it's extremely hard to find rapid tests right now, and they didn't want to block things up um, because of that. So that is one hypothesis uh, that is going around. Um, But for now, their guidance remains that way. Now, their guidance is just, they're just guidelines. Ultimately, it is um, states and local public health Mm -hmm. departments that get to say what people should be doing for isolation and quarantine. And also uh, there may be local rules uh, or your workplace rules um, that are going to spell out their own rules and they might be more conservative uh, than the CDC's uh, guidance. So that's where we are at uh, right now. Um, Really briefly about uh, outpatient COVID treatments. Uh, what you should know about them. So you may have heard, well, aren't, aren't there now, you know, new medicines to treat COVID and keep it from being serious. So how much do I have to worry about catching Omicron? So we do now have some options to reduce the chance of COVID progressing to serious. So these are medications that have, you know, emergency approval um, for treating people who have tested positive for COVID before they are sick enough to be in the hospital. Generally, Um, for people who are higher risk. So we have Paxlovid, which is the new oral medication. We have molnupiravir, which is also an oral medication, but in studies, it was much less effective than Paxlovid. We have for Omicron, the monoclonal antibody, Sotrovimab, and uh, also the medication that's been around for a while, remdesivir, um, has been found in high-risk people uh, to help reduce the chance of needing hospitalization. So remdesivir and Sotrovimab are IV Uh, administered, which makes them harder to give in the outpatient setting, although it's possible. The other two are oral. The main thing you should know is they are all in very, very short supply right now during the surge, and you cannot count on getting them. Um, I think eventually we will have uh, them more available Paxlovid in particular is promising, but before you get super excited about it, it got its emergency use authorization on December 22nd it's a viral protease inhibitor. What's great is that it acts on um, these enzymes that uh, aren't otherwise in human cells. They're just part of the virus. Uh, and the preliminary data showed this impressive 88% reduction in hospitalization rates when it was given within three to five days of symptom onset. But as you may remember, I've always said, whenever you hear about research, like who, what, when? So, who was it studied in? Um, so it was studied in about 2,200 unvaccinated high-risk people who had an average age of 46. Only 420 people in the study were over age 60. It did seem to work in that group. But again, over age 60 is still a very like broad, diverse group because we have people who are in their 60s, in their 70s, in their 80s. They probably had very few participants who were in their 80s or 90s. We don't know because they didn't give us a specific breakdown of what their over age 60 group look like. Um, So one is that to me, the question is, well, how well does it work in people who are over 75 and unvaccinated and how well does it work in people who are over 75 and vaccinated or vaccinated and boosted? Um, The other thing is that it has a lot of drug, drug interactions. So I think it's going to be actually potentially tricky to give to a lot of older adults. And then again, it's in very, very short uh, supply. So even though it was not studied in people who uh, are vaccinated, but high risk. Um, uh, so the supply of Paxlovid was given to each state and then each state decides how to dole it out. Um, so in most states, it has been prioritized for people who are older and uh, very high risk, even though we have less data on the performance in that. But I think that makes sense, um, but... Mostly, I would say, don't count on being able to get it right now during this surge, unfortunately. So really common question that I've heard from a lot of people is, well, like, is it important to avoid Omicron at this point? How much do we want to sacrifice as individuals or even as a society? Um, and I think it's actually really important to engage in this question. And there are differing opinions. So on one hand, the sort of side of like, let's not make a huge effort to avoid it. Um, uh, it's become really prevalent and it's really hard to avoid right now, um, unless you are going to take pretty significant measures like wearing a really good mask, like an N95 mask, um, and being really strict about your social bubble. And people often they think their social bubble is, well, it's just those people I let in my house, but those people are probably letting a few other people in their house. And I have had so many people tell me they're being careful, and when we go into details their definition of careful and mine are not quite um, the same. Um, and then also on the line of like, well, do we have to work that hard to avoid it? Um, you know, catching Omicron uh, can potentially be miserable to have, even if you're vaccinated. I mean, a lot of people will be asymptomatic, but a fair number of people also feel sick, but you're unlikely to get hospitalized or severe disease. Um, on the other hand, um, there's still a minority of people who will need hospitalization. And when you have a million, I mean, that's such an undercount, you know, uh, we probably have like 2 million people a day getting it right now. Um, when you have that many people getting it, even a smaller minority of that group adds up to quite large, absolute numbers. So, you know, we still, um, end up with a lot of people often older and with chronic illnesses needing hospitalization. It's still unclear the risk of long COVID. With Omicron, we are not going to know that for quite a while. Uh, It's disruptive to be sick or infected for yourself. Um, And then the current volume of sick people is causing a massive strain. On hospitals and other parts of society. So I actually think it is worth trying to avoid Omicron, at least for the next few weeks to help us all get through the surge. And so my suggestions on how to stay safer during this search. Um, first and foremost, COVID is an airborne disease, same goes for Omicron. So fundamentally, it's you stay safer by minimizing your time inhaling the exhalations of people who are outside your immediate household. That's basically it. So the way you can do that, you mask up, especially uh, indoors, whether several European countries have reimposed outdoor mask mandates. It's not clear to me that there's great data for that unless they're in places where people are often quite crowded uh, outside, but especially indoors. So the safest is an N95. There are more comfortable N95s uh, available. There are the next best uh, options. Um, I always forget what they're the uh, KN94 and the KF, the ones from China and Korea, which are also pretty good. Um, So uh, you can wear those or at least wear them if you're gonna be indoors with a lot of other people for a while, like in an airport or on a plane. Uh, You can also double mask. Um, So I think a lot of us who who have been using masks, have gotten used to, you know, some kind of cloth mask. A lot of those are not particularly tight fitting and don't have great filtration. So you can improve them. Uh, The recommended way to double mask is to wear a surgical mask, um, which usually has pretty good filtration, but not great fit gaps. And if you put a cloth mask, a well-fitting cloth mask over it, it kind of keeps it all closer to your face. So that's pretty good. Um, I would recommend avoiding indoor dining for the most part and just be very selective about indoor gatherings and about your time indoors with other people, especially if um, people are unmasked uh, inside. You want to remember that rapid tests can miss early Omicron. So I'm sorry to say this because I said this before you know, take rapid tests before gathering, but that has become riskier than it used to be. Uh, with uh, Omicron in part because people convert from a negative test to contagious so quickly and also because rapid tests in the States are in the nose and we're finding that people have uh, lots of antigen in the saliva for one to three days before and it's the saliva virus that is infecting other people, right? The way we put COVID into the air is mostly through speech, singing, shouting, not through breathing out through our nose as much. And then uh, the more we ventilate indoor spaces, the better. So opening windows too is better. Using air filters, think of COVID as like smoke, right? So it's being six feet away from someone is not going to keep you necessarily from breathing in some of their smoke. Um, Having a good ventilation uh, in the space um, does. And you especially wanna be more careful if you are yourself vulnerable. So older chronic health conditions, Uh, immunosuppressed um, and you wanna be more careful if you're going to expose vulnerable people, if you work with them or if you spend a lot of time uh, visiting them. If you have cold symptoms or sore throat, I would recommend you assume it's Omicron unless you're able to prove otherwise. And the challenge right now is that it can be hard to prove otherwise. So first of all, if you get a PCR test, it takes days to get the results, even longer now that the labs are all backed up. If you take a rapid test, You know, so if you swab yourself throat and nose and it's negative, um, then, you know, that's reassuring, but not a guarantee. Um, and then lastly, get boosted. Um, if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, I'm again, going to highly recommend getting vaccinated. And then I would recommend getting the booster, um, as well. Uh, so these were the FAQs and I think we've covered uh, them all. Yes, Omicron is uh, a little milder, but the volume is still so high that it's creating a huge hospital strain and there's still you know, a non-negligible chance for an older or vulnerable person that they might get sick enough from Omicron to need hospital care. Even though if you're vaccinated, you are unlikely to need ICU level care. The COVID tests do work. And we've talked about uh, the caveats, especially regarding the rapid tests the vaccines work and are effective in uh, older adults. So I think you should get vaccinated and boosted because it reduces your own personal risk and also helps us uh, as a uh, society. And I am not for letting it rip, at least not right now, not until we get past this, this search. I think after the search as a society, we need to have a conversation about how much circulating COVID we're willing to tolerate. Um, but Right now, we need to just get past uh, the surge. So to recap what we know and don't know about Omicron, we know it's crazy contagious, has a short incubation period that many people have no or mild symptoms. We know that it often infects people who are vaccinated or have previously had COVID, but only rarely causes severe pneumonia or critical disease in vaccinated people. <clears throat> we think that boosters increase the protection against infection to about 70 70- uh, percent, And we think that overall it's 20 to 20% less severe than Delta. What we still don't know is what are the risks of long COVID for people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated? What is the risk to frail vaccinated older adults? We're probably going to find that out as we see it play out in the nursing homes over the next several weeks. We don't know how long the booster lasts and will we need another or at what point do we stop boosting? Um, there's still quite a lot that we, we don't know. So. Um, But I feel it's warranted to take extra precautions until the surge dies down. So I would recommend you use better masks. And again, limit your indoor uh, encounters with others, social encounters, Um, for instance, especially the unmasked ones, at least for the next few weeks, I recommend getting boosted if you're eligible. And then lastly, If you meet anyone who is currently working in a hospital or ER or even nursing home, assisted living, thank them for their work because this is a really, really hard time for them right now. And so that's it. Thank you so much for watching this COVID update. Please stay safe. Um, This still says enjoy your holidays. Well, enjoy your new year as best you can. I do think 2022 is going to be a better year for us overall. We just need to get past this surge and together we can do it. So take care, everybody. Bye-bye. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, Don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes, and if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.